0: Listening to the Brookside Church Sermon Podcast. We are a progressive and inclusive community of faith in the heart of Morris County, New Jersey, reminding everyone that they are the beloved child of God. For more information, visit us online at brooksidechurch.org. And now the first scripture reading, which is Revelation 1, verses 4 through 8. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty.
1: Thanks, Hope. Our... um... Second scripture reading this morning comes from John, chapter 18, uh, verses 33 through 37. And these are, uh, by the way, the traditional liturgical season scripture readings. So um, we're going to take it and sort of read through and think through the way that the rest of the churches uh, and all the other communities are doing together. So we're reading this and thinking through these things together. This is John 18, 33 through 37. And then Pilate entered the headquarters again. And summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? I'm going to stop just there. Does everybody know where this passage is from? What, what text does this remind you? Does anybody know from hearing the first few phrases of this, what scene, we're, what setting we're in in the story? No? Okay, so, so I'll read this first sentence again and then see if you get it. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Does anybody know what story this is? Before his trial. Yeah, this is before the trial, right? So this is, this is part of the Good Friday narrative, right? And Jesus has been arrested, and Pontius Pilate has brought him in, right? And so Pilate is having this question with Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own, or did someone tell you about me? And Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? When your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me, what did you do? But Jesus answered, Well, my kingdom's not of this world. And if my kingdom was of this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not like the kingdoms of the world. Well, then Pilate asked him, So you are a king? But Jesus answered, Well, you say I'm a king. And, you know, this is why I was born and why I came into the world, to just testify to the truth. And everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. So this is the word of God for the people of God. And so, uh, you know, this is a, a time of transition. And before we get into talking about today, I just want to sort of talk about the gospel with you for just a minute when I think about the gospel when I think about what it means to have faith in God to take the teachings of Jesus seriously I really think of what I only have my own personal belief is that you are the beloved of God that's what I understand that's what how I make sense of the gospel is that my own personal belief is that you are God's beloved and so as we're transitioning into this new season, I want to sort of put that as our framework. So everybody here, probably most of you, have, have done some transitioning this week of one kind or another. Uh, maybe it was as simple as uh, taking the pumpkins off of your porch and hanging up Christmas lights. Maybe some of you didn't. Uh, but in, in the, the course of the life of the church, this is also a time of transition, a time of change. And uh, so we're moving from ordinary time, which is the time with green vestments, into Advent, which is either deep blue or purple, depending on what church tradition you're in or what banners that they decided to buy when they, when they ordered them. And so that transition, uh, there's a day that marks that transition, and it's called Christ the King Sunday. And Christ the King Sunday is meant to highlight one of the main key theological focus Uh, points of the church and it's so important for us as a tradition as a denomination that on our banner over here on our logo our crest right we have at the very top of it a crown and so you'll see uh, one simple way to uh, interpret this symbol of ours the united church of christ is to say that jesus is the king of the world right but we were born in the late 1950s, moving into the 1960s, and the UCC has always been one of the most progressive Christian movements in history. And so we were listening to radical voices all along the time that we were being born. And so you'll know that if you were paying attention, some of those radical voices were feminists, anti racist civil rights movement leaders, and they take this language of kingdom a little bit differently, and they say maybe we need to pay attention to the language that we use is kingdom language the right language, the right framework to use if we're listening to the teachings of Jesus? Feminists would say that the kingdom language is sort of rooted in a patriarchal notion of domination and power and violence and oppression. And is that the kind of language that we think of when we think about God? Or is it a healthy language for us to use to reinforce our idea, our understanding of who Jesus is? And so... When we think of a day like the day, Christ the King's Sunday, and we come back and look at it in our framework, what language should we use? Well, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, Jesus was teaching in the Greco-Roman framework, right? And so he was using language in the Greco-Roman world. And the Greek word, the Greek phrase that Jesus used was basileia tauteo, which basilea tauteo is Greek for kingdom of God, if you're English. But in the Roman world, Basileia would, instead of be kingdom, probably would have been empire. The emperor of Rome would have been known uh, in the language of Basileia, the empire. And it wasn't just a small little kingdom with a few little pieces of an ar- army men that were su- supporting a kingdom, a castle. It was a big empire meant to sort of rule the entire world. So Jesus teaching his movement with his followers was trying to use a language of the time to help them get a sense of what the movement that Jesus was teaching them was supposed to look like. An alternative empire or an alternative to the empire. A different kind of empire. And you hear this language both in the reading from Revelation and in the passage of Jesus in this conversation with Pilate. And Pilate clearly represents the empire. Pilate is saying, are you a king? Are you an emperor? And Jesus is like, well, if I am, I'm from a a different empire than you are. My empire is not like your empire, because if it were, then obviously if I'm being arrested, there would be an army coming to fight you. So you see, there's this framework, this tension between the teachings of Jesus and the empires of the world, deep embedded in the heart of the gospel. One of the ways of the language that we I can try to start thinking about this, and many of you have heard me do this various different times. And moments like this, is important to redo it again, to rethink it. Uh, Mark Van Steenwick wrote a book a number of years ago called The Unkingdom. And The Unkingdom was meant to use a framework of repentance to think about what it means to, to think about the teachings of Jesus. So the unkingdom was the language that he used because he was saying that repentance was supposed to teach us that we can't start looking at the promises of God until we can repent and put away the, the notions of domination and power and violence. And so we have to undo that before we can start to dream about what we can become. And so he sees what Jesus was doing was using the language of the empire to undo the empire. So the whole notion of creating this alternative community known as the Basileia Taltheo was mo- supposed to be an un-empire, an un-kingdom, an undoing of the kingdom with the creation of this thing that Jesus was doing. But as, as helpful as I think that a notion of un-kingdom is, it, it's deconstructive. It's deconstructive. It doesn't give us a language that helps us know how to be constructive. So it, it's it's helpful in knowing what we shouldn't be like, but it doesn't really give us, I don't think, a clear enough picture of language to think about what we can become. And that's where I start to sort of look look through various different teachings and thinkers to try to come up with what kind of language can we use? And um, so one language that I'm very fond of is Dr. King's language, Beloved Community. And so on Christ the King Sunday, I would like to encourage you, just maybe perhaps we start thinking of today as the Beloved Community Sunday, as a way of trying to think through how do we think about ourselves as a community and how we're knit together and how we fit together and where we, how we understand power and our place in the world, what kind of people that we're becoming, the Beloved Community, based on Dr. King's. So to get into this, I want to. I know that I've already lost some of you. And I know that many of you in your homes this week, you were doing this stuff. You were putting out the Christmas tree. I really, really dislike that Because the Christmas tree is always tangled, and the Christmas lights are always tangled into knots. And you have to – it's so much work. Can I get somebody to come and get – maybe two people. Come to volunteer. Come on. Any, any two of you. All right. Come on, Danielle. All right. Linda. All right. So if you guys can untangle this while I'm talking. Um, There's a a plug up here, and you can plug it in, and then we just – I guess you know what to do, right? After you untangle it, you have to plug it in, and you have to look at all the lights and make sure that they work. Does anybody remember uh, uh, Clark Greenwald? Mm -hmm. Surely you've seen that movie, right? And he plugs it in, and they can't figure out why the lights are not coming on, so he goes through and (coughs) take every individual bulb. There's 25,000 bulbs, right? Yeah. Um, And then he goes through and, and uh, well, these are LEDs, so so luckily we figured out a way to create a strand of lights where all the lights work. Uh, maybe that's my dream for the hope of the future, is that Christmas <laughs> lights will all, always work all the time, and you won't have to untangle them. Um, and and so the story with uh, Clark Greenwald is that after they, they turn on the lights, it's actually, they don't realize that it's a light switch in the back that's keeping all the lights <laughs> in front um, and so I want to use this as a metaphor for us thinking about the beloved community. There's two things that are important about this strand of lights. And you can do anything you want to with it. If you want to decorate the table with it, you can. I've got another box here, <coughs> which, by the way, happens to have some extra bulbs. And there's some instructions if we can't figure out how to make it work. Um, but there's two things that make this work. is One, that there's an energy source. Right? There's a plug. and Everybody knows these little Christmas light plugs. They're kind of unique because you not only plug them in, but it's got the plug on the other side of it so you can plug others to it. Um, and if you're fancy, you can go to the store and buy a whole bunch of those plugs, even if they don't have a light connected to them. I don't know why you would need that, but anyway, they have them. Um, and, and then the second thing is, the first thing is the power source. The second thing is that there are these bulbs. And um, and you didn't, <coughs> uh, I wanted to know how savvy you were, but, uh, but there's actually a bulb that's not working, right? Uh, so if this had been uh, uh, maybe five years ago, if without this bulb, then none of the lights would be working. And so we would have to go through and check each individual one to make sure it works in order to get all the lights working again, right? And then there's the fancy ones that you can buy, you know, the blinker bulb that you put it in there, it makes the whole thing blink. And then if you have two or three blender bulbs, you've got various different parts of the lights that are flashing, right? So this, I think, helps us understand the beloved community because it not only reminds us that we have to be connected to the source of where we get our light, but also reminds us that in order for us to shine, we have to be plugged in. And so there's this sense that the beloved community works like this because in order for it to work, we have to recognize we have to be connected to God. But even that's not enough. We have to be connected to each other, plugged in for us to shine. So we can shine individually to the world, but we're not going to shine the way that we would if we were connected to the stream, right? And so, listen, think about that notion of the lights sort of serving as a metaphor of the beloved community as I read this passage. This is from um, a guy named Donald Chinula, and uh, he's a scholar that talks about the beloved community. and he said this, he said, nobody is a nobody. And he's borrowing from Dr. King's language. He said, nobody is a nobody. Everybody is a somebody. <clears throat> somebodyness is never earned or conferred, it's innate, it's a right, it's divine, it's ontological. My somebodyness derives from God and thrives on your somebodyness. My somebodyness derives from God and it thrives on your somebodyness. The two are independent and mutually inclusive. My nobodiness, my nobodiness disparages and degrades your somebodyness, And you can't rightfully claim to be somebody when you cause or tolerate my nobodiness. You see how this works? And so if you think of us as all individual lights plugged into this string of lights that are supposed to shine to the world to remind the world of our belovedness, then you can see how this works. My somebodyness depends on God, but it thrives in relationship to your somebodyness. We are somebody together, and you can't make my somebodyness be less somebodyness, but you can try. But when you try to make my somebodyness a nobodyness, it actually makes your life dim, less right. It takes away from your somebodyness. And so this notion of beloved community as the, these Christmas lights, I think, remind us of thinking about the, the way that Christ the King Sunday works. And so even though we're using a different language, I want to use this as sort of a metaphor to think about Jesus. We might ask a question, well, this notion of beloved community is pretty cool. Maybe this works. Uh, but what does it have to do with Jesus. And so I want to maybe, maybe uh, help you sort of imagine this. I'm putting together the Christmas tree that's going to be here next week. And uh, there's no lights on. And maybe it's dark at night. And you can't see to plug things in. These lights don't really have any inspiration to remind them. I mean, I'm fumbling through things. But if I could plug in one light, like maybe the star on the top. I've got enough light, see, to be able to figure out how the rest of it works. I think that that helps us, thinking about it that way helps us understand the role that Jesus plays in our faith. What Jesus, see, is like that first light that shines in the world that allows us to see what it means to be human. Jesus shining his light into the world, reminding us that we're beloved, helps us see what it means to be human. Helps us see what our own life and belovedness can be. Many of us don't know that we're beloved. Some of us have never been told that we're somebody. But hearing the teachings of Jesus in their full form reminds us that Jesus says that we are somebody. And so when I come back to you and I tell you that I understand the gospel, not just to be about faith in God and taking the teachings of Jesus seriously, but really is rooted in the belief that you are somebody, really reminds me that what I take from the teachings of Jesus is that Jesus is not just saying, I'm king and you're nobody, but Jesus is saying, Let's undo that whole thing. Because the way that God created the world is not so that God can be up here and that you can be down there. The way that God created the world is this network of mutually inclusive love and interconnectedness. that We all depend on each other. And the more that we take care of loving and caring and supporting each other and affirming each other's somebodyness, the more that we're able to live into the people that God created us to be. So, The question then I have is for us, what does it look like for us at Brookside to become the beloved community? For us to take seriously this charge from Jesus to become this alternative to the world? Well, first of all, we have to be connected to the source, right? So you have to actually pray and wrestle together with what it means to be followers of Jesus. But the other thing is you have to be plugged in. Now, I know that many of you understand your role with the church in a way that I think is somewhat backwards. We sort of look at the world, maybe we think about missions, we think about the church in terms of what are the things we're going to do? What are the things that we're going to do? What are the things that the world needs? What good can we do together? And then we go about doing them, but then we realize maybe we don't have all the resources that we need to be able to do all the things that the world needs us to do. And we get exhausted, we get discouraged. But I think if we think about it this way, we realize that what the most important thing for us to do is to begin with who we are. Begin with who we are. Make sure that we create a community where everybody's somebodyness is affirmed and loved. To make sure that everybody gets plugged in. And when everybody gets plugged in, then we have a sense of the shared light that we can shine. Then the goodness happens in the world. So you don't start by making a list of all the things that the world needs us to be. We start by looking at who's here and what gifts that we have and what light that we can shine together, and we plug that in together and work on that to build what kind of community that we can be. And then we can discover that what we have together is all kinds of gifts that we can explore and support and affirm so that we can become this light that then shines in the darkness like Jesus does. So here's my prayer. Here's what I want to leave you with this morning. I pray that each one of you finds a way to be connected, not just to God, but to each other, and that by being connected, I pray that we would be able to find ourselves affirmed and our somebodiness supported, that our somebodiness begins to shine, and that our individual somebodiness thrives on each other's somebodiness. That we as a community stop asking what we should do or even asking what the world needs and start looking at each other and say, how can we shine together? How can I support your somebodyness?" And try to find out how all the people who are here can feel included and loved and affirmed. And in that prayer, that's how I pray that we can move into the into the season of Christmas together. And so as you're driving around this next few weeks and you see the Christmas lights, I hope that maybe this will remind you a little bit of this prayer that I'm praying for you to be connected, for us as a church to be so connected together and so connected to God that we can shine to the rest of the world and remind them the beauty and the love and the belovedness of God. Amen.